If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Good afternoon, Steeler Nation. How we doing? Well, that's good. Me too. Wesley Euler with you here. Hour number two of the Steelers Blitz on SNR. I'm rocking and rolling solo here today on a Tuesday. Motesy will be back tomorrow. We're, we're caught up in that weird schedule, right? I mean, Thursday game last week, Saturday game this week. Mike Tomlin press conferences getting moved around. So uh, a lot of weird stuff going on today. Um, originally, today was supposed to be, as you loyal listeners know, you know, the one day a week we normally don't do shows is on Tuesday because that's when the Mike Tomlin press conference and all the programming that accompany it are here on SNR and ESPN Pittsburgh. Um, but that was changed this week with the Saturday game. Mike Tomlin moving to Monday. There was some uh, miscommunication, so Motsi got double booked today for a community event in not knowing that there was a show. Go- a lot of stuff going on, but Motsi's fine. He'll be back tomorrow. You got me today. You've been rolling on the tweets. I love it. We will get to all of those and more this hour. I also uh, want to play a couple comments from Gene Steratore and talk a little bit about uh, – Global officiating, if you will, in the National Football League, because it's another week and another officiating controversy, although I don't think it's much of a controversy. But we'll get to that in a few minutes. I am going to update you on Show Me the Money here as well momentarily. But first, just a couple observations. The double Monday night football games last night. And can I just say, personally, I love it. I get that part of the charm, and this is really more, I think, from a player standpoint, and maybe a fan standpoint, too. Part of the charm of Monday Night Football is you're the only show in town, right? One game, two teams, all the eyes of the football world are upon you. I get that. That's part of what made it so special for so long. You know, back when uh, you didn't have Thursday night games every week and Saturday games and all this, when all the games, you know, NFL football was played on Sundays at 1 o'clock as the Lord intended, dang it. And then you got one Monday Night Football game. That, you know, for a long time, too, those Monday night games, it seemed like they were always big matchups, always good teams. So I get that it maybe takes away some of the traditional, special nature and feeling of Monday night football having two teams on there. But what I love about the the the, the doubleheader is, well, I guess doubleheader would technically be back-to-back, right? But you get what I'm saying. The, the double feature, maybe. Would that be back-to-back, too? Regardless is that a lot of times these weekday games aren't very good. The Monday night games, the Thursday night games, heck, in general, you just get blowouts in football games from time to time, or you get games that just both teams have losing records and they're not you know, fully invested in it and it's not just aesthetically great football to watch. When you got two Monday night games, that gives you a better chance of having a good game. 
gives you something else to watch. I had the multicast going last night. I had both the games on at once. I like that kind of stuff. I'm a dork. I love college football Saturdays, right, when there's three different ranked games going. You got the SEC game. You got the Big 12 game. You got the Big 10 game. You got them all on at once, and you're kind of following them all. That I, I love that, and that was a lot of fun last night. I enjoyed that. I don't know if I want that to become a regular thing because that probably means the Steelers would end up playing weekday games even more so. But I did enjoy it last night. Both games ended up being good ones last night. A real missed opportunity, a real fumbling of the bag by the Miami Dolphins for sure. A chance to keep uh, their pace with the Ravens at the top of the AFC there. Those teams meet in a couple weeks. Um, And the Dolphins now are kind of, they're going to need some help. They're going to need Baltimore to get knocked off by the the Niners or one of these other teams that they have to play because that game was there to be won by Miami. 14-point lead with three minutes left, and you let Will Levis march down the field twice. Uh, A real missed opportunity for Miami at home, one that they will be ruining, I'm sure. Um, But credit to the Titans. Credit to Mike Vrabel, to Will Levis, to Derrick Henry, DeAndre Hopkins, all those guys for – for hanging in there. I mean, they were, what, 4-8 and eight going into that game last night? They don't have anything to play for, but they refused to die, and they gave Miami everything they could handle. And that's a loss that the uh, the Dolphins might be looking back on in a couple weeks, thinking, ah, crap, we could have we could have had a bye week here, and instead, you know, now we got to play the Steelers, or now we got to play the Browns, or now we got to play the, the Bills, maybe. Um, and, and, you know, if we would have just taken care of business at home against Tennessee, we wouldn't have to do this. I will say, though, again, I touched on this earlier, but I'm going to bring it up one more time. You, you always see when Tyreek Hill is banged up what his his value is to the Dolphins. And I know MVP has become a quarterback award. And I know when you look right now at all the different sports books, all the different odds makers, all the people who project these things for a living and do a really dang good job of doing it, your favorites for MVP are all quarterbacks of Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott and Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson. And I'm not saying those guys are not viable candidates. They absolutely are. But if I were an MVP voter, man, I'd be thinking long and hard about Tyreek Hill. He's still got a chance, outside chance now, but still has a chance to get to 2,000 yards, which would just be historic and incredible even with the additional game now that these guys have had for the last couple seasons with the you know with the 17 game 18 week regular season schedule now that's been in place for a couple years but MVP I know most valuable player it's it, it, by that vein it's always going to be a quarterback right but you see man you see how valuable Tyreek Hill is to that offense two is a good quarterback Jalen Waddle's a good wide receiver. They've got some other nice weapons, but, man, they just are not the same without Tyreek Hill out there. MVP? Maybe if you ask me. You want to know something crazy? With three minutes and eight seconds left in regulation last night, when the Titans trailed 27-13, to 308 left, next-gen stats had Tennessee with a .4 chance of winning the game. Miami with a 99.6% chance to win the game. Insane. That's why you play 60 minutes, kids. That's just absolutely wild. And then the other game, another a big missed opportunity for the Packers. You know, they had worked their way back into the NFC playoff conversation, I believe, with a win last night. They would have been in in the wild card. But Tommy DeVito, baby. I mean, Tommy Cutlets, the legend, continues to grow out here. 
You see his family's food spread before. If you haven't seen it yet, just go on social media. Go on Instagram. Go on Twitter. Go on Facebook. Wherever you get TikTok. Wherever you get your social media. And just type in DeVito family tailgate. And I'm sure it'll come up. I mean, Tommy DeVito's family at this Giants game last night, they had a spread. It looked like they were catering a wedding. I mean, they had like a huge buff, like like four folding tables all in a row, five, six folding tables all in a row, and they got cutlets, and they got baked ziti, and they got pasta, and they got, uh, you know, prosciutto and mozzarella, and they got the good bread. Oh, it looked fantastic. And they're inviting Packers fans. They're inviting Giants fans. They're inviting everybody just enjoying – their son, their cousin, their family member uh, doing the dang thing for the Giants. It's been a fun story to follow. Not so much fun for Green Bay. Maybe they got some humble pie last night from the DeVito family. Ah, you see what I did there? But again, another, another testament to me, I think Brian Dable deserves credit for getting this Giants season turned around, for keeping them in the hunt. And I mean, hey, don't look now, but technically they're still alive in the NFC wildcard race. They've got an uphill battle to climb, but technically still alive. Which, you know, onto their third string quarterback, that's pretty impressive what they've uh, been able to do. Uh, you know, they're they're four and eight. So, I mean, they need to win their last four games. It's not like they're gonna be scoreboard watching, but they've got something to play for down the stretch. And that those last couple wild cards in the NFC are wide open right now. Good chance that a team with a losing record, an eight and nine team could get into the uh could get into the postseason in the NFC. So, we'll see what happens. The Giants are 5-8 and eight now, right? Yeah, because they were 4-8. and eight. They're 5-8 and eight now, so they, may, they got a shot. They win three. They got a shot to get in at 8-9. and nine. They win four, nine and eight. And they might even be favored. So, those are just some observations I had, you know, on a weekend where the Steelers don't play. I always like to talk about some of those other things, some of those other games. Quickly, before we go to break here, I do make picks every single week on the show. A little thing we call Show Me the Money. Show me the money. Show me the money! And, folks, it's like a bad joke. This is the fourth straight week, I think, that I've had a 500 record. I just I, – I, I cannot get back on the right track, but I'm not falling down the stairs either. I went 2-2 two and two again this week. I, took, I told you Browns minus three against the Jags. I didn't like Jacksonville's injury report. Didn't like the weather report there in that game with that Cleveland defense. Browns took care of business. Joe Flacco – Minus three against the Jags, no problem. I also like the Ravens minus a touchdown, minus seven against the Rams, and they won by six. Vegas got me again. So the Ravens win, but not enough for me to lay those seven points, so I took an L there. Had the Eagles plus three and a half in Dallas. I thought, man, you're never going to get the Eagles plus three and a half. Give me the birds. And they went down to Dallas and looked pretty bad and got beaten pretty handily. So took an L there, but then the Bills saved the day for me. Had Buffalo plus three in Kansas City. Didn't need the points because Buffalo won straight up. So went two and two last week with my picks. Like I said, that's the fourth straight week I think I've gone two and two. Maybe this week I'll have to pick three or I'll have to pick five games. So that way we'll have to have a winning or a losing record. Maybe that's what I'll do later on in the week. But make sure you tune in to find out. Every single Friday. Except for this week it'll be Thursday because we don't have a Friday show because I'll be on a plane to Indianapolis. It's show me the money. Show me the money. Show me the money! Interesting comments made by Gene Steratore, of course, Western Pennsylvania native, former head of officiating in the NFL. He was on the DVE morning show today as well, too. I tell you what, DVE, they get all, they get all the good guests, you know? What's up with that? You think they can sh- save some for the rest of us? 
You think those big whales can save some water for the fishes? Gene Steratore, on with the DVE Morning Show. Some interesting things that he said about this Patrick Mahomes officiating controversy situation that I want to play for and discuss with you as we have a little, just a little, global officiating conversation. We ain't going to let it dominate the show. We ain't going to let it dominate the rest of the hour. But just a couple minutes on officiating when we come back on the other side. Steelers Blitz, SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Blitzing on a Tuesday, having some fun as we always do. You got Euler solo here. I'm going to get to your tweets momentarily. But as always, you know, you guys know the drill when I'm solo. I play a little sound, not a lot, just a little bit. We'll do a little global conversation sometimes. It's an opportunity to just... Look at the broader issues in the NFL, particularly on a Tuesday like this, right? When it's now been, what, five or six days since the Steelers played. It's not like they just played a game on Sunday that we're still reacting to with that Thursday buffer there. Of course, the one thing that everybody in the NFL world has been reacting to over the last 48 hours or so, the ending of the Chiefs and the Bills game, an offsides call on Kadarius Toney that negated what was just an insane lateral game-winning touchdown by Travis Kelsey, and then Patrick Mahomes' absolute meltdown post-game, uh, Andy Reid upset as well, too. Who better to talk to about this than Gene Steratore, Western Pennsylvania native, one of us, one of us, one of us and former NFL head of officiating. Yeah, pretty good guy to get his take on everything that transpired on Sunday at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. Gene Steratore on the DVE Morning Show this morning. Pat Mahomes <laughs> and Andy Reid crying about Kadarius Tony lining up under the goalposts, for crying out loud. <laughs> Got everybody on the ref side for once. Oh, boy, did you guys deserve a break. You know, I, I, I felt happy for you. Well, you know, Ren, I think you know, every once in a while, you you know, you get it right. And, uh, you know, you, you just want to just state the rule and, and allow the public to do what they do. And when there's a little support on that end, it, it never hurts. It, it never hurts. Well, you know, the interesting <laughs> thing about it was the Chiefs were not saying it wasn't offsides. They were just saying. The play was so cool. Yeah, it was cool. It should have counted because it was so cool. You don't call it there. That's what we heard. You don't call it there. And Gene, you don't call it on us is what they were saying. Yeah, right. You don't, you don't call it on us. If it's pass interference, ticky-tack in the Super Bowl, and we win the Super Bowl because of it, we're fine with that. If Patrick Mahomes gets tackled inbounds and there's a 15-yard penalty, we're fine with that. Just don't call it on us because we're the effing Chiefs. Uh, uh, these are the kind of discussions that, as an official, you just kind of sit quietly in the corner and allow the uh, allow the audience to hash it out there. And at the end, uh, what do you think, there, Gino? <laughs> well, now, and you you posted online about it. I mean, this was obviously offsides, and the, and and I they have to call that there. Egregious, egregious. But you know, uh, to not let you off the hook here, it was another week after hearing <laughs> T.J. Watt and now Miles Garrett, two of the best you know, perennial uh, depoy candidates, they both talk about the fact that they're being held nonstop and the league is just out of control with allowing this to happen. 
Um, I can't imagine that there's any like meetings going on where somebody's from the league is whispering, "Hey, uh, just uh, you know, just yeah. let them let them hold every once in a while." So, how, how does it get to the point where it's at now, where they're not? calling multiple instances of major holding on guys who could wreck the game if they weren't being held. Yeah, you know, and I think Micah Parsons also made a comment here yeah. a day or two ago in a similar fashion. Um, naturally, you're right. You know, there's a whispering going on here, like, you know, let's look the other way or things of that nature. Um, but timing is everything, right? I mean, if you end up with a couple plays that, that end up big game type of plays, you take a look running back bounces outside you see this restriction on tj or or miles or somebody of that that nature right at that point of attack and it's not called uh you know you open yourself up for you know these types of comments and um you know the conspiracy stuff is you know it'll never stop i think we just heard a little bit of that right i mean just in the previous little dialogue that you all were having there so yeah it, it, it it'll happen uh i do think that's an overreaction on their part um and the officials that are held to account on those types of plays just need to, you know, need to get better on plays where they're seeing that. There's a lot of times on the edge, um, you know, defensive players, they rip move. They'll put themselves underneath of an offensive player's arm very quickly. And, uh, you know, it looks like holding right away. But the defender put himself in that position and changes the way holding would be called then from that next, you know, the next three or four steps. So officials need to see those plays from beginning to end. Uh, this is not making excuses. It's just kind of going back into the field for myself and, and look at how you progress through those types of running plays. Those are players on the edge. When you have runs on the edge, the officials in the offensive backfield are working the interior linemen from the inside out. The officials on the on the line of scrimmage are working those defensive players kind of from the outside in. Uh, but you need to see that play from beginning to end. And, and when you see restrictions like there have been, you've got to throw your flag there. I mean, they're fouls. These guys are great for a reason. And uh, truthfully, that should be part of your pregame discussions, not that you're pinpointing people or looking for certain situations that you want to interject yourselves, but to prepare and realize these are the matchups we have today. These would be hot spot areas because they're going to be impact people. Uh, and they're going to make the difference in a certain situations. Let's make sure we're on, on point with what's happening. So uh, when those happen and then when you miss them and, and on those plays too, they do jump out at everybody, right? You do see that one-on-one type of block in the offensive backfield or, or something right at the edge of the point of attack. So it definitely draws everyone's attention for the right reasons. And, and you need to get those plays right when you don't. This is a lot of the repercussions that you suffer when you miss those plays. Did you happen to see any of the Cowboys-Eagles game on Sunday? Were you working that game? You know, I did not. I actually got home Sunday evening, uh, so I was in. I was in the air and did not get to see. Uh, did not get to see that game. That was another uh, game where people were complaining about the amount of flags. Well, and there was one play where there was two penalties on the same play, and they were both assessed. I think one it was a, a pass interference spot foul yes. and a face mask on a catch. Yeah, yeah, I did see that, Billy, because that's a unique scenario. It's one of the very few times in the NFL where multiple flags on the same team would be uh, would be administered, right? The only real other one that fits in that category is when you have a foul against an official. That is always penalized regardless of what happens, no matter what. 
but the face mask that also has a pass interference involved in it, we call that stacking. You do stack that play, so you penalize both infractions. Although the face mask was the pass interference, it does bundle in. So it's a bundle. It's a bundle. You know, you get them both. <laughs> uh, so that was that unique situation in that, in that regard. And listen, back to the Mahomes scenario, I will tell you. Um, a lot of times it's, 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 it's a pretty good practice if, if you understand where officials are and what they're responsible for to put yourself on the field and say, like, why was this one called? When you're on the line of scrimmage and you see hands, helmets, a toe, we called it a slice of green when one player wanted to be off, the other player wanted to be on the line. You, you always try to give them those benefits of the doubt. So we don't have a flag fest for these technicalities. When a player comes up and lines up on the line of scrimmage, and you can't see the football, you know, because the player is blocking your view of that football, you know, to re to, so you can rule on what's going to happen right before the snap. That's when it becomes with you know, egregious, clear and obvious. It may not look the same from a certain angle on the screen where they started to do that. I watched some of that yesterday. Go back down to the field, put yourself right on the line of scrimmage, look right down the line toward the football and say, could that official at the bottom of the screen seen the football where he or she was standing prior to that snap? The answer is definitely not. That player is completely covering the football. That's clear and obvious. Um, when the hands are in, the helmets are in, we talked about this before, right? That's when you do run in immediately. And if it happens early in the game and, and, you, and you let that player know, you want to let them know right away, right? Like offensive tackle, you're not on the line of scrimmage, get your outside foot back up. I don't want to sit here. Don't put me in the box all day. I don't want to call this. Same with hands and helmets. And then you go right from there, hopefully, to the sideline right away as quickly as you can. Let the coach know. Look, that is the alert warning, per se. But when you come out and somebody's, you know, covering the football, you don't have an option to that play. You know, and trust me, that official that threw that flag understands he has to throw it. But now you do see what may be one of the craziest plays we've seen <laughs> in a long time, especially for the time of the <laughs> game that, you know, what was on the line right. and, oh, yeah. and for Kelsey to kind of turn and throw a dime. I mean, this wasn't a little kind of at the last minute decision. He turned squared his hips around and he threw one of the better balls of the day, you know, right at, the, you know, right at <laughs> the various his chest. And, uh, you know, when you see something like that, naturally that happens. And then I also did understand to an extent in real time, how Mahomes reacts. He doesn't know how far off the line is, you know, or offside his player is. So I can see that reaction in the heat of the moment. But now once you go back and look at this, I mean, this is inside the locker room. It's guys, it's, I know we're all depressed here. But <laughs> we got to, these are the details we got to get right. But there's a cure to that. And so today on Wednesday, we're going to bring in, you know, uh, the restaurateur, Dr. Fajoli. He's going to make some pasta. Everybody's going to eat spaghetti <laughs> and, and everybody's going to be less depressed. Yeah. You know? Gene Steratore. That's what they they just need to send the Chiefs to Tommy DeVito's family and they'll take care of them with a little pasta, a little cutlets. Come on, Chiefs. Sit around the table. It's okay. I always love listening to Gene Steratore on the DVE morning show. He's one of us. He's got that Western PA inflection. Uh, and he is very level headed as a guy who has been around the NFL for a long time, head of officiating. He also did that same thing for the NCAA, used to work March Madnesses all the time. So not just a longtime football official, but one for, for March Madness and college hoops as well, too. Um, 
you know, two of the the NFL is the biggest sporting entity in this country by far, and March Madness is one of the biggest sporting uh, entities and brands. And and you know, Gene was a uh, a big part of both of those. So always enjoy listening to him. Um, Every single week-ish on the DVE Morning Show. I, I don't know if he's still doing every single week. I think he is in season, uh, but great stuff. If you want to check out more with all the great guests that they get, uh, just search DVE Morning Show wherever you get your podcast. You can find all that every single day. Of course, they're on early in the mornings on DVE as well, too. Uh, but enjoyed that from Gene Steratore. And, yeah, you know, he mentions how he can understand the anger from Mahomes. He doesn't get the view that we all get and all those things. Uh, to be fair to Patrick Mahomes, he did apologize yesterday. He went on a radio show in Kansas City and, you know, said all the things you would expect him to say. Shouldn't have acted like that. I apologize, you know, X, Y, and Z. So Mahomes did uh, walk back some of his behavior, which, hey, I think there's always something to be said for that. Uh, he lost his cool a little bit. That's something Max and Wolf talked about in the locker room this morning, times in their career that they lost their cool. Um, but I think that was such a big part of it, too. The play just looked sweet, didn't it? Like You just want a play like that to stand. Yeah, Tight end, throwing it on a dime like you heard Gene Steratore say there to your wide receiver with a minute left in the game to take the lead. I mean, that's a... That's a time capsule type moment, right? That's something that, you know, 10 years from now, the Chiefs tweet out or post on Facebook or whatever social media we're using 10 years from now. 10 years ago on this day, Travis Kelsey threw the lateral to Kadarius Toney as the Chiefs came back and beat the Buffalo Bills, right? I mean, it's that's part of it too. Just optically, that was such a cool play, such a cool moment, and then you get that taken away. But Ricky makes a good point here on Twitter. Ricky says, nobody would be talking about that call if it happened in the first quarter. You're absolutely right, Ricky. Now, maybe with the play attached to it, it would have been a little more significant. Because, again, that's just you, you don't see tight ends doing that very often, what Travis Kelsey did there. It was really cool. But you're right. I say this all the time. It was the same thing that, you know, my reaction to that controversial no call in the NFC Championship game, you know, when was that five or six years ago when the Rams beat the Saints and there was that egregious non-PI call? Yeah, it was egregious. But if it would have happened in the second quarter, no one would have cared. And if the Saints would have taken care of business in overtime when they got the ball first, instead of throwing an interception like Drew Brees did, I'm pretty sure, no one would have cared. That's just kind of my overall with officiating as well, too. Do they cost teams games? Sometimes. Certainly. It's happened. But much, much, much more rare than anybody wants to admit. Usually over the course of 60 minutes, there's a bad call here for this team. There's a bad call there for that team. But both teams had the opportunity to make it right and assert themselves. And 99.9% of the time, the outcome is just. There are those rare exceptions, but that's like point. 1% of the time. Not nearly as often as we like to make it seem. All right. Going to get to our final break here. When we come back, your tweets to close down the show. Tweet now or hold your peace for 22 hours, you knuckleheads. At Wesley Euler is where you can get at me if you want to get involved. We'll close down with your reaction on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. All right, let's close it down proper, as we always do. 
with your tweets, with your thoughts on the dot com, on X, on Twitter, on whatever the heck you want to call it. At Wesley Euler is where you can find me this day and every single day here on the Steelers Blitz. Michael tweets us and says, what's up, Cousin Wes? We're riding with you just like we ride with the Steelers. All my real fans, let's ride. And all the fake ones, stop complaining about the nation or go join another. Listen, Mike, I I, I know it's hard for people. The last couple weeks have been frustrating. We had some great expectations coming into this season. Playoffs felt like, uh, you know, leaving Cincinnati, playoffs felt inevitable. Now you got a little bit of a struggle to get there, but it's gut check time, baby. You go win in Indianapolis. Right back on track. I do still think, listen, I know people people don't want to go 9-8 and eight and go to the playoffs and lose, and I, I get it. I think, though, for this group, there would be there would be an, a, a tangible benefit going forward of finding a way to scrap your, your way into the playoffs and uh, getting the experience for a really young offense and a lot of guys who haven't been there. And, to be fair, guys on defense too, like Joey Porter Jr. playing in his first playoff game, Keanu Benton playing in his first playoff game. I do think that there's always some merit to that, especially at this point. I mean, if the season ended today, you'd be picking in the 20s. Right, it's not like you've got some opportunity to really go and improve your draft position. I think the benefit of of finding a way to get into the postseason and then getting that experience with so many young people being part of this group and part of this core, I do think that there's benefit to that that would benefit this team going forward, beneficially. Foshiz Alaska tweets and says, "The good hair, you do a great job flying solo. Hope our linebackers make it back by Saturday." Yeah, that's been man. It's been tough to watch that position go from such a strength for this team, such a, uh, you know, luxury for this team almost. And when they, you know, when they had Quan Alexander healthy, when they had Cole Holcomb healthy with Alandon Roberts as well too, to now that being an area where they're scrambling. Sounds like Jonathan Taylor isn't going to play on Saturday. And that's a big loss for Indy. That's, a, you know, a benefit for Pittsburgh in terms of your you know, your likelihood to go and get a win, not having to see one of the best running backs in all of football. Uh, but make no mistake about it, the Colts still want to run the football, and they still will run the football. That's what they're built to do, even without Jonathan Taylor. But, yeah, you need you need some uh, maybe some good news in the, in the middle of that defense for sure. Steeler Cop tweets and says, win the rest or lose the rest, anything else is unacceptable. See, I don't know, Steeler Cop. Hey, winning the rest would be great. Without a doubt. 11 wins. You're in the playoffs for sure. And I think uh, despite it being a frustrating route to get there, I think we all would have signed up for 11 wins uh, before the season started. Lose the rest again. Even if you go – so let's let's play out this hypothetical real quick. Because I think I get what you're saying, Steeler Cop. Like win the rest and go into the playoffs with real momentum and a chance to win a game or two, right? Maybe even host a playoff game. If you were to to, to get to 11 wins, you would have a chance to. Or lose the rest because you improve your draft position. That's where I think you're going with this Steeler cop. You know what they say happens when you assume. But I think that's safe to assume here. So let's go down that hypothetical road. Even if the Steelers were to lose um, their last four games, they're still finishing 7-11? and 11? No. They're 7-6, and six, right? They finished 7-10. and 10. Pardon me. Yeah. 
finish 7 and 10. Can't finish 7 and 11. There's not 18 games. They'd finish 7 and 10. So, would you improve your draft position from where you are now? Yes. It wouldn't be that drastic, though. Right now, I think if the season ended today, the Steelers would be picking like 22nd, something like that. Don't quote me on that, but I think within a, a spot or two, I think I'm on. Maybe it's 21, maybe it's 23, but I, I I saw this yesterday and now I'm drawing a blank. But I think it would be something like 22nd. And to be fair, I don't know if that maybe even changed a position or two with some of the results last night. If you lose your last four games and you're 7 and 10, I mean, you're at best you're probably picking 14th. It's 7 and 10. It's 7 and 10, you're still not going to have a sexy draft pick. You're still not going to have a, you know, let's go pick in the top 10. Let's go get a, a, a an easy stud in the draft. You'd, you'd move up maybe about eight or nine spots, something like that, which, hey, there's, there is benefit to that in the draft order, without a doubt. But, you know, last year the Steelers went nine and eight, and they originally were picking at 17 right before they moved up to 14, so... Nine wins last year got you at 17. Yeah, I think seven wins, would you'd be picking 12, 13, 14, something like that. Which, hey, is a fine pick. But I don't think it's worth, you know, going and tanking these last four games either. Get into the playoffs. Get that experience of, you know, turning this thing around when it seemed like everyone was bailing and there wasn't a lot of hope. And get, again, a lot of young guys on this roster who have never experienced postseason football, get them that first taste, which hopefully has a tangible benefit for you in the near future. Rudy tweets, home from Pittsburgh, still jet-lagged. We had a good trip. Would have been great if the Steelers would have won. I'm still shocked about all the Mike Tomlin hate. I don't know because I see stuff from other teams' perspective living outside of the market, how bad other teams have it, and that gives me perspective. Listen, this is it's easy to argue on both sides, right, Rudy? I think it's easy to argue that Mike Tomlin has never lost a team in Pittsburgh. He's never had a losing record. He's never had a bad team, right? He's had them in the hunt every single year. I think you can also argue the other side of that, you know, that they haven't won a playoff game in six seasons. This year would make it seven seasons, which would be the longest stretch since before Chuck Knoll. You know, that that, that is not the standard in Pittsburgh. We have higher expectations, and, and maybe it's just time for, you know, it's it, like while you acknowledge what Mike Tomlin has accomplished and everything, you think it's time for a new voice, for a new direction. I think both of those sides of the fence have merit. I think both of those sides of the fence can make good conversation, good arguments. Like I said, I could argue either one right now. I could argue for you why Mike Tomlin should stay without a doubt. I could argue for you why he should go without a doubt. I mean, that's, you know part of the beauty of these debate things, right? There are valid points on both sides. But yeah, I think the hate is a little too much. And I do think that, you know, he has at least earned the right, I've said this a few times, I'm sure I'll say it again, to see this season out. When he's been here for what, 16, 17 years? I think the people who, you know, would fire Mike Tomlin today, I don't think that's right. Even if you do think that this should be the last year of his of his long tenure, he has certainly earned the right to see out these last four games and potentially a fifth or sixth uh, as the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's earned that right with everything that he's accomplished and everything that he's given to this city and this franchise for nearly two decades. Big Ron tweets and says, 
Offensive struggles. Are they solely on the QB position? Are they on the scheme they are trying to run? Also, what's the first movie you watch every year? Mine is Elf. Uh, Okay, first part. I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the first hour, Big Ron. A lot of it's on the quarterback position. A lot of it's on the scheme. I do think it's it's too conservative for modern-day NFL, but that that's tough to change on the fly in the season, and you're still running Matt Canada's offense in a lot of ways. We talked about that earlier. But, listen, everyone's culpable on the offense. From Canada to, to you know, to Sullivan and, 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 and Eddie Faulkner and all these guys, right? Everyone involved from a coaching perspective. The head coach as well, too, as it is his team. Even though he's a defensive guy, he's got a hand in everything, right? Or at least responsibility in everything. And, of course, quarterback play hasn't been nearly good enough. Offensive line hasn't been good enough. Run game has at times been good enough, but not consistently. And the wide receivers, they've flashed. They've also struggled. I mean, it's, it's not solely on the scheme. It's not solely on the quarterbacks. It's on everybody. But yes, I also think with that big run, the best way for this offense to improve over these last four weeks, realistically, is to get better quarterback play, point blank, period. Because whether it's been Kenny or whether it's been Mitch, it has not been good enough. First Christmas movie I watch every year. So if it's up to me, it would be The Grinch, okay? Um, But my wife really likes Elf. My wife really likes Home Alone. So it's usually one of those two because this time, you know, if I'm not watching sports, if there's not you know, a football game on or a Penguins game on or a WVU game on that I'm trying to watch. My wife usually gets to run the TV and she'll automatically go to L for Home Alone because one of those two are always on the television. Steeler Nation 920 tweets and says, uh, I'm not worried about the playoffs. What I'm worried about is the future. I know the real TB12 Terry Bradshaw had a rough start to his career and turned it around, but I just don't feel like Kenny has that it factor in him. Also, what are these famous Pennsylvania pretzels and how do I get some? And what's the holiday schedule for the Blitz? Yeah, I listen, Wolf brings that up a lot, right? How T- Terry Bradshaw struggled earlier in his in his career. He got benched and then he went on to win four Super Bowls and become a Hall of Famer and a league MVP. I don't know how much stock I put into things that happened 50 years ago. History is important, without a doubt. I laugh about this with Wolf all the time, but I don't know how similar Terry Bradshaw's Uh, quarterback and NFL experience are to that of a quarterback now in 2023. The position has changed drastically. The league has changed drastically. Back then, you could be a little bit more patient. Now, you don't have time. These these coaches, and maybe Pittsburgh's an exception to this, right? Because we have stability and continuity, unlike very few. But a lot of coaches in the NFL, they're coaching for their jobs on a week-to-week, month-to-month basis. They don't have years to try and let a guy figure it out. I have said this before. As we sit here today, and I think I said this about a month ago, I am I. If you made me guess right now, I would lean towards Kenny Pickett is not the Steelers' decade-long solution at quarterback. I think that's fair at this point. I'm not all. I'm not 100% write it in blood. I'm not get that guy out of here and move on and find the the next plan. But I'm 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 my my I'm not sitting on the fence. My legs are dangled on the side of he's not the guy you know for 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 a decade. But I also think and I know that he'll be afforded another opportunity with a new staff, new QB coach, new offensive coordinator, all those things with the investment that they do have in him as a first round pick and a quarterback, and one that they're just not going to want to move off of without being entirely sure. 
next year is going to be a huge year for Ken. No matter what happens with Mike Tomlin, with the rest of the coaching staff, I do think Kenny Pickett will be the Steelers quarterback next season, and it's going to be obviously the year that makes or breaks his future in the black and gold. What are these famous Pennsylvania pretzels, and how do you get some? I think that's a Philly thing that you're thinking of, Tyler. Unless you're talking about Sarah's chocolate, chocolate-covered pretzels. Now, those are a Pittsburgh thing. Those are delicious. I don't know if you can get some. Maybe I can mail you some. <laughs> uh, but if you're talking like soft pretzels, that's more of a Philadelphia thing. They are also delicious. And the only way to get those is to go to Philadelphia Freedom in my best Elton John voice. Philly street pretzels are delicious. Sarah's chocolate-covered pretzels are delicious. Now you got me in the mood for pretzels, Tyler. Thank you very much. Holiday schedule for the Blitz uh, will be business as usual. We will have Monday, Christmas Day off, the 25th. But other than that, we rocking and rolling, cousin. It's football season. No days off. Jolly old St. Nick, he gets us one day, and that's it. No days off. No days off. No days off. So, yeah, we'll be off Christmas, Monday. Uh, but other than that, we rocking and we rolling. Wallace says, I don't think losing out would improve draft position enough, but if they did tank for the rest of the season, many in Steeler Nation uh, that won it now would be uh, complaining about it and saying that's a reason to fire Mike Tomlin. Always saw that it's absurd to even want to tank. I Listen, I come down on both sides of this, and I got like 60 seconds here and I got to go, but being raised in Pittsburgh, it's a weird balance. Because I've seen the Steelers contend every year and be all in every year and never tank and never look to the long-term future. And I've seen them go to four championships and win two of them in my lifetime. They've had a lot of success doing it the Steeler way. I've also seen the Penguins across town tank multiple times and it's worked out for them to win championships too. So I don't think there's any direct blueprint in the NFL, in the NHL, in the NBA, in baseball. Well, maybe in baseball where you can just be the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox and spend a gajillion dollars, right? But in a salary cap league, I don't know if there's any one direct blueprint to win a championship. Sometimes tanking does work out. Sometimes it doesn't. Look at the Philadelphia 76ers. They tanked for like five years. They haven't even sniffed an NBA final. A lot of teams tanked for Zion Williamson. He hasn't been this LeBron James savior type. So there's there's no should you tank, shouldn't you tank, should you be all in every year, shouldn't you be all in every year. There's no one way to skin that cat. What you need is competent leadership. And I do think, in, like, for example, in 2019, when Ben went out for the rest of the season, if the Steelers would have quote-unquote tanked, I don't think many of us would have blamed them. Instead, though, they did the Steeler thing. They went out, they traded for Minka Fitzpatrick, they doubled down, and they were 8-5 and five and in the playoff hunt the entire season and still finished with a 500 record despite losing their Hall of Fame quarterback in the second game of the year. But I just want my teams to win games. That's really all it comes down to me. I'm getting out of here to get some Sarah's pretzels and uh, some late lunch. Thanks to everybody for chiming in today. You know I appreciate it as always. Take care now. Bye-bye then. Back with Moats tomorrow, as always, on your 24-7 Home in the Black and Gold, SNR.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 